Hello, everyone. I am Jennifer Braverman. Welcome to Stories from the Earth, where we explore mankind's relationship and connection to the natural world. We'd like to take a quick moment to invite our listeners to consider supporting us through a humble little donation. If you go to our anchor page and click the support button, there'll be options for to donate for a dollar, five dollars, or ten dollars. And the donations go towards helping us with future projects, such as launching an herbal educational curriculum. We've dubbed the People's Herb School, as well as funding to help take this show on the road and do some on-site reviews and interviews at herb farms and schools and other interesting places relevant to our podcast. Today, we have a special episode. We are doing something a bit different since my co-host, Ellen, is having time with her family and her new baby. <laughs> Today, we're having a panel chat about fall slash autumn winter and the concept of change and change of season. This is a quote from Wikipedia as the definition of autumn, which I forgot because we use fall here in the United States so often, but a lot of the world uses autumn. Autumn, also known as fall in North American English, is one of the four temperate seasons outside of the tropics. Autumn marks the transition from summer to winter. In September, Northern Hemisphere, or March, Southern Hemisphere, autumn is the season where the duration of daylight becomes noticeably shorter and the temperatures cool considerably. Day length decreases and night length increases as the season progresses until winter solstice in December, Northern Hemisphere, and June, Southern Hemisphere. One of its main features in temperate climates is the shrinking, sorry, the striking change in color for the leaves of deciduous trees as they prepare to shred. Shed. <laughs> <laughs> and that's by Wikipedia. Winter is the coldest season of the year in polar and temperate climates. It occurs every autumn. It occurs after autumn and before spring. The tilt of the Earth's axis causes seasons. Winter occurs when a hemisphere is oriented away from the sun. Direct Different cultures define different dates as the start of winter, and some use a definition based on weather. I am joined by four other lovely ladies. I would like everyone to take this opportunity to just uh, introduce yourself, tell us who you are, what you do, and anything else you'd like to say. And you want to start, Byron? I always have to start because I have that B name, but I'm happy to do that. Hello, <laughs> everybody. <laughs> I'm I'm Byron Ballard. I'm a Western North Carolina native. Um, I'm a a witch and an animist and a writer and a priestess and a farmer and a gardener and a hiker in the woods and a hugger of trees. I think I'll start there. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> okay, Sarah. <laughs> um, thank you. Yeah. Um, First of all, it's great to be with you. Thank you all for um, gathering to do this digital and otherwise in spirit, hopefully soon in person. So um, I'm Sarah and I live in Bat Cave. It's well up on the mountain, very rugged terrain. And I um, am a naturalist. I work with agroforestry and outreach. I, um, I love being in the woods, farming the forest, foraging especially, foraging mushrooms. I love to work with uh, ginseng and other at-risk native botanical uh, species. 
um, that are usually medicinal and some are edible too. Hi, I'm Lori Jenkins. I am the owner of Sister of Mother Earth. I make lots of yummy herbal foods, fire ciders, infused honeys, uh, syrups, all types of uh, foods that we can use in the kitchen. I'm also a kitchen witch, a land witch, a forager. I love the mountains. Um, although I'm not from here, my family's from here, and this is home for me. And I'm just grateful to be here. Hi, everyone. I'm Tiana Rose. Um, I'm an herbalist and singer and and a gardener as well. And so I'm just here to, uh, excited to connect in this kind of round table way and hear what everyone has to say. Glad to be here. <laughs> Thank you everyone for joining us. I'm gonna put everyone's links in the description so you'll be able to learn more about what everyone is up to and they have all undersold themselves. They are fantastic. They're doing awesome things. Go check everyone out. <laughs> we will just jump right into the questions and see where that takes us. So the first question, and I'm just sort of starting with fall and then going into winter and we'll just sort of, what does fall slash autumn mean to you? And what does this time represent to you? Um, yeah, what well, you were saying about your, your Wikipedia reading, of, um, you know, the natural uh, balance of light and dark around the equinox and leading into winter around the summer solstice, or around the winter solstice, excuse me. You know, I live in a place of pretty profound nature. And so the thing that stands out the most to me around the time of the autumn equinox is just the balance of light and dark, which occurs between two different points in time you have the equinox and then you have the equilux and that kind of changes depending on your location in the world on the planet and it changes depending on which equinox is occurring so it happens you know a couple days i do believe before the spring equinox and a couple days after it's called equilux and so it's a really interesting period of time and it's quite liminal in the way that astronomically because of a few interesting variables uh, with the earth and the sun you know it adds about 10 minutes or it can remove 10 minutes so um, you know around the autumn equinox it actually adds around 10 minutes in this location to the daytime <laughs> which is which is pretty interesting you know as opposed to having you know the, um, the longest day and the longest night of the year you have the equality but also this liminal time of balance and it's pretty interesting in the natural world too i was just wondering if your cell phone adds that 10 minutes or something automatically or does it just i don't believe there's any kind of day like daylight savings adjustments or anything i think it just adds about 10 minutes of light to sunrise okay okay yeah. Cool. Yeah. So it just it gets lighter, like a, to around ten minutes earlier than it would, you know, um, outside of that time. And it's pretty interesting because it's uh, regarding the sun's proximity to the equator, which means that you know due to atmospheric refraction and the fact that the center of the sun is still below the equator. Yeah. It comes up and it, and it 
doesn't come up in a different way. But, you know, the atmosphere refracts the sunlight. It's pretty interesting. It's definitely a liminal time that we can feel viscerally here in the forest, too, obviously, because it's approaching autumn. <laughs> all of the massive changes that occur all around us during that time. Yeah, and especially since you're so much more in the, I mean, I think we're all pretty much in the woods. Wait, are you a higher elevation than Asheville? Yes. Yes, yeah. okay. So I bet you get even more change. We have microclimates, mm -hmm. which yeah. are really interesting. And so 10 minutes up the road, it could be totally different. Elevation, totally different. You know, the holler <laughs> is totally different. Right, yeah. You know, like, um, so yeah, it really makes for an interesting, you know, like um, transitioning of seasons, seasons over here. Sometimes we're earlier, sometimes we're behind everybody else. It's hard to tell around the mountains. I know there's this one tree by where I live. It decided that it is decidedly fall. It's this little tiny tree <laughs> and it's changing colors and it's pretty much lost half its leaves already. It's like, I'm I'm here, I'm here already. And the rest of the trees are all like green. They're like, okay, no, not yet. That's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's so many different ways that, you know, autumn can be reflected. Right now we're kind of having a drought. And so some decided to call it quits early and they're already kind of changing their leaves. Yeah, there's definitely a whiff of autumn in the air already. I want to be a little bit folkloric about fall, if I can. Yeah. So here's what fall feels like to me, that it's the time, and, and some of you have children, I know, it's, it's the time when nature gets ready for bed. And that's a long process. And if you have children, it can be a really, really long process. Brushing the teeth and washing the face and getting the jammies on and reading spray and getting the water and all of that. But my baby is now 31 and she doesn't live with me. But even my own process for going to bed is flossing and brushing and washing my face and shutting down the computer and all those things. And I think that's what nature does in the fall. So I, I felt a little cheated by the Wikipedia definition that it's just, you know, the thing between summer and winter. Well, it isn't. It's a process. It's this beautiful texture, deep process of things beginning to shut down so that they can go to sleep for the winter, especially in the, in the zone that we're in here, so that you do see autumn start in August. And there are some trees that go to bed early. They're like that cranky old 80-year-old woman who, you know, I got to go to bed by 9 o'clock. And then there are trees that are going to hold out to the last possible minute. And the plants are the same way. So they're plants that they've already put themselves to bed, and you're not going to see much of them until the spring. And then there are the plants that we only see glorious in the fall, like the species clematis that right now is so gorgeous and the smell is so profoundly beautiful. Mm -hmm. So I like to use that time in the fall to get myself ready for winter and to tell myself all those things that, that I need to catch up on and catch up with because once winter is here, I want to engage in some deep meditative time mm -hmm. and, some, and to get some real profound rest. So fall feels 
alternately like a very busy time, but also as a time of settling down and settling in. Yeah, it's definitely like a cleaning out time for me. You know, I know a lot of people do spring cleaning, but I typically find myself cleaning out at this moment to get ready for winter time, like Byron was talking about, because, you know, I want that time to rest, to do things that are rejuvenating for myself, but I can't do that if I feel like I'm having to clean out and you know, make room and those kind of things. So this is that time where I start um, always doing that because it just feels natural to me. That's like the natural rhythm of things for me. Yeah, same here. Yeah, it feels very active, you know, there's, it, but it feels different from summer. There's this getting ready feeling, but it's, it's very, I don't know, it's very refreshing. <laughs> It's like today, I don't know if anybody was outside today, but, you know, the wind changed a little today and it felt very different today. Um, and it was that moving energy. And all I wanted to do was be outside today. Um, so it's definitely making its way in. But I do want to add, um, Byron was talking about children and putting to bed. I have young adults and they always tend to start getting ready for bed. And then they have this moment of like, wild chaos <laughs> about 10 11 o'clock and i i feel like that's what happens here in the south especially i mean even in the mountains you know we have you know fall creeping in well we'll get like this really warm spell in september you know and it's like where did that come from and that's my wild children you know up at midnight <laughs> for three hours <laughs> yes that's a good analogy i love that yeah <laughs> when we get these like out of season sort of like you know it's 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 really really warm right in the winter or like it's sort of like you know or really really sort of you know you get that really crisp very fall day and you're still sort of very much in summer um, we call it the the fall preview or the, yeah. or the spring preview because it's just like this weird like day or two where you're like, oh, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Those of us who garden, we suddenly have the the itch to be gardening again because it's mm -hmm. been too hot or too dry or too wet, and yeah. then suddenly, I mean, I was out the other day and I bought spinach and chard seed. Because I'll get that in the ground in September sometime so that I'll have spinach first thing in the spring. Mm -hmm. And it'll be luscious and wonderful. And I'll be so grateful that I took the time to do it, even though I don't want to. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's funny because I was just thinking about it. Like we've, you know, sort of really moved away for a lot of us through the out of the rhythms of the earth. You know, we're sort of like, you know, we eat you know we don't really eat with the seasons anymore mm -hmm. like things are available at the grocery store I mean like I I work with in a space without any windows so I can't even see like the light changing or the outside or anything else in a very like enclosed sort of like I guess it's like a liminal space at all its own but you know it's very removed from the outside natural world and but yet we're still all like taking these cues from the changing of the seasons like because you know you're buying seeds and <laughs> you know and then you're cleaning so it's just like it's like even though we've 
come removed from some of this to a certain extent, it sounds like we're still very much influenced by it, which is a good thing. It does. It definitely feels like a very biological impulse, mm-hmm. and um, you know, not to. I mean, I think everyone is probably pretty familiar with what happens with mammals, you know, and even other kinds of wildlife, you know, amphibians and things, you know, it's hibernation, it's hyperphagia, which is when, you know, bears go crazy and, you know, done tear up all the trash cans, (laughs) you know, like just try, I mean, trying to like eat all they can before that time. But if you think about the forest, which I can't not, think about the forest but um i'm looking at it right now and it's really amazing you know a lot of the plants perennials medicinal plants that are long lived so they're not an annual annual seem to have this imperative that they set seed and then having set their seed they're done they know that they're going to come up and they're going to like shoot up out of the grounds and have a whole other generation of seed within one year but the perennials it's beautiful it's called senescence Essence is the process of trees changing color. All of the plant life around us, most of them anyway, except for the evergreens, they let loose their leaves. But on the ground, you know, all of these plants are sending all the the nutrients and photosynthetic processes back down into their roots to store those carbohydrates and starches for next year. And that's what's going to give them their boost and growth first thing in spring. Another thing that really appeals to me about autumn in particular is kind of like this uh, decay and nourishment. I love that kind of duality of decay and nourishment. And it's like there's, it feels like there's been some like you know, closing of doors and shifts and then kind of like new beginnings at this time period as well for me and what I've seen out, outward as well. And it's kind of like, like growing up, this is when school started, the school season some quotes um and this one is is interesting um from sylvia plath um Mm. august rain the best of summer gone the new fall not yet born the un the odd uneven time and that's from the unabridged journals of sylvia plath and i thought that was really neat Mm. i like the odd uneven time because it definitely feels like that It's just this, it's my, one of my favorite times of the year. It's my favorite time. I mean, um, I, you know, my birthday's in October and I'm just a, it's been like a fall, fall girl. So I just um, thought that was really, really cool. And then this one is just from Outlander, the book. (laughs) It was a beautiful, bright autumn day with air like cider and sky so blue you could drown in it. And that's the one I had. Oh, that's the one you had. Oh, <laughs> yes. I love that series. 
Oh, I found a quote as well. This one's by Jane Hirschfield. Um, the heat of autumn is different from the heat of summer. One ripens apples and the other turns into cider. Ooh, ooh, I like yeah. that one. Beautiful. Yeah, that was great. I've um I've got part of a poem from Mary Oliver, and the poem's called Song for Autumn. Don't you imagine the leaves dream now how comfortable it will be to touch the earth instead of the nothingness of the air and the endless freshets of wind? Being somebody who loves to walk in soil, that just made me happy to think of leaves looking forward to that. With the walnut trees, they start to drop the walnuts and you can just be like, here, if you're outside, it's like, thud, thud, thud. And I just really love that, except when they accidentally hit your windshield and break it, that's not good. But. <laughs> <laughs> that did happen. <laughs> Uh, yeah. <laughs> Do you make anything out of them? I made a, a black walnut green hole infused oil. Mm. Mm. So it was a little bit of an experiment because I think I wanted to make some sort of fungal salve or something or just play around with. Like a lot of times I'm like, what can I use? You know, if, it, if there's something in my environment that there's a lot of, I'm like, I should try to make something with that. I don't know. I just love black walnuts. I like walnuts. I'm starting to eat a bunch of walnuts now. I don't know. It's a, it's a thing. They're great for your brain. Yeah. Well, that's, that's <laughs> good. Great for your brain. That's because I have ADD, so maybe that is why I'm just like on this walnut thing. Hmm. I well, I played, a, I played a trick on my husband with the walnuts, black walnuts, <laughs> because, you know, I, I'm foraging June berries and whatever I can forage around the, around the neighborhood in the area. And he was really suspicious. He said, well, we have all these black walnuts. Why don't you do anything with those? And I just looked him dead in the eye and I said, cause it's man's work. And, and, he, and he went, oh, and I said, no, traditionally in Appalachia, that's a man's job. And he was like, he's from New York. So he was like, oh boy. And then he came in and he said, you didn't tell me that how hard they were. <laughs> but now he's worked out a whole plan. And so he will go out and he'll bust a bunch up. And I use them in like fruitcakes that I make in the wintertime. I love the flavor of black walnut. People are like, oh, I just run over them with a car. But I'm like, how do you get the walnuts? <laughs> then because the little pieces get smushed and, mm -hmm. and right. into the dirt and I'm like anyway, yeah <laughs> it's easier to forage apples truly <laughs> well um, I should invite all of you over to um, enjoy our persimmon season because oh. what you have to do is stand under a tree with a basket and my goodness oh. you won't land right in it it's like the sound of rain sometimes, you know, <laughs> sitting in the persimmon grove. We have about 40 wow. bearing persimmon wow. trees, and they were not planted, so they're wild, and um, they've really kind of taken over. And, you know, so North American native fruit, uh, mm -hmm. like pawpaw, I think, mm -hmm. I believe pawpaw might be the only other tree fruit uh, native to North America. 
and they're they're so good i wish i were better in the kitchen <laughs> i'm terrible in the kitchen i can forage it i can grow it i can do all of the stuff but forget about cooking it <laughs> uh, i have to leave that to more skilled folk than i so um but they're they're amazing and it's a fun it's so fun to harvest them but lordy you better make sure that it's ripe <laughs> before you eat it or else um Yes, <laughs> your face will no longer have a mouth hole. It'll be like. Is that the papa or the persimmon? Or the persimmon. persimmon. <laughs> is it persimmon season now or is that? Very soon. Oh, okay. dropping. I still see some green ones and some bright orange ones on the ground. But with our American persimmons, they have to be just basically pudding when, before they're ripe. Yeah. which makes it a little hard when they fall off a 50-foot tree. They kind of tend to splat. But, I mean, it's it's amazing. It's like you can get really great ones, and I we get them by the pound. I can go pick, like, five pounds a couple times a day, probably. Oh, my gosh. It's very bountiful, and we are very grateful. Wait, so what, do you, what do you do with them? Do you like, freeze them or... You can puree yeah. them. Okay. I try to give as many away as I possibly can because I have a tiny kitchen and can't deal with <laughs> them. And they're best shared with friends, I do believe. Uh, yeah. Perhaps enemies, the uh, unripe ones. Um, but <laughs> um, So yeah, I, give, I, I share them out and then I'll usually kind of puree them and then freeze the puree. And then you can use them in baking and like persimmon bread and things like fruit. Mm -hmm. yeah. Tara no gave me a big bag of them last fall and I made a uh, persimmon cake with oh. black walnut. Oh, it was really good. Oh, oh that's amazing. <laughs> so I need to come down and see you and, and make and get more and make you some cake and bread since you're not a kitchen person. May the ancestors have mercy on me. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not that good either. No. <laughs> I had no idea that persimmon was native either. Yeah. It's just like you don't. Yeah. You yeah. see these beautiful Asian persimmons in the right. grocery yeah. stores, and they're quite a bit different. They're more like apples. They'll hold their shape. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, they don't have quite so much moisture in them. They don't turn to pudding when they're ripe. Um, but their flavor is not as strong and not as spicy. And, um, American persimmons really do taste just like spiced applesauce. Mm. Um, yeah, they taste like cinnamon, cardamom. Byron, help me out here. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, kind of applesauce. And um, yeah, specifically good for baking. They're a little hard to eat raw absolutely the baking season. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. That's another question like I didn't um, think about, but you know, foods and stuff like that for fall and things that maybe you would only eat sort of around this time. So that's a, I'm glad you mentioned the persimmons and the walnuts. We're talking about. <laughs> I have a quick quote which yeah. is not attributable, uh, unfortunately, but um, I kind of have adapted it. It's sort of, it's sort of a short one. And so in my version, it says, in autumn, nature shows us how beautiful it is to let go. 
Yes, it's that process of senescence, which is just fascinating and beautiful and sad and bittersweet and um, hard to let go of sometimes, but it's really beautiful. And then, you know, it kind of goes back to the, um, the cycle of decay and nourishment, because that's in the forest, at least, out here. Um, you know, that's what builds the soil upon which the, the whole entire forest sources of life is the soil, the loam, the microbi you know, the, the microbes, the mycorrhiza, you know, insects, it, roots. <laughs> that's, that's the source of everything. And that can only really be possible mm -hmm. to leaf, you know, the, the leaves falling off the trees and decaying. And composting into um, beautiful fertile soil. So I kind of like to try to draw my own parallels if I can. Yeah. And it reminds us always of the cycle of creation, destruction, and creation. And that each of those things is indebted to the other. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you have the cycles of life all around. I mean, in autumn, yeah. many plants are dying. Like they're not going to come back. They've set their seeds for the next generation. And you have perennials that, you know, and shrubs that go dormant and they return all their nutrients back to their roots to grow again. You have trees, obviously, um, which do really fun things in, in springtime, like the sap running. But, you know, it's all possible thanks to the loss of leaves and mushrooms. Mm. Oh, <laughs> right. <laughs> Everybody to pop over and chat some about winter. Unless anyone else sure. anything else to add about um, fall while we're still on that. It, it's wonderful and it's the best season. So there. Yes, I, I agree. <laughs> agree. <laughs> Until we talk about winter. <laughs> agree. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, winter. What's your favorite thing about winter and what does winter represent? I like to see any? the naked trees. Yeah. Winter is my tending fire time. I never knew how much I enjoyed tending a fire. We moved here. Um, if y'all can remember, it was the winter of 2017. We moved back here and we well, lived. We lit, yeah, we got a lot of snow. We were up in Trust, which is close to Max Patch. And um, I've never had a wood stove. I never, you know, I just didn't grow up with that. I was real little when we had a, a wood fireplace. Um, and I was like, we had to get our wood. We had to, I mean, our, our house that we were living in was a converted barn. Like it used to be a barn. So it was freezing. Like I could feel... I could feel the wind coming through all the outlets that were on the outside walls. And we had never lived in that sort of cold because we came from South Carolina where they shut down school for like sleeping, you know? So, I mean, we just didn't know what that kind of cold was. I knew right then that's, that's it. From now on, we have to have a fireplace or a wood stove, something that keeps our home warm because I enjoy tending that fire so much. And that's what I think about during wintertime is tending my hearth. Like mm -hmm. inside tending the hearth. My family's from New York, so from Brooklyn. And we came here 
and we bought this like old farmhouse and it had a wood stove and that was my first experience with fire and wood stove yeah i used to get off the bus and go build a fire <laughs> i agree i love i love the fire i love having a fireplace the heat is so warm and and cozy and there's just nothing like it does anybody heat primarily with wood now no we don't heat primarily but um I'm not quite sure what kind of furnace we have or heater we have for this home, but when it hits a certain temperature, it's almost as if it can't it can't heat anymore. Especially during the day, we will like just keep the fire as hot as it can get so that it will keep the house warm. Because we too live in the woods. We don't live, there's not a lot of sunlight that hits the house. So we don't typically get a lot of um, warmth except for a couple of hours during the day where the sun comes in these windows right here. So it's, it stays cold. It stays cold right now, even in the summertime, especially right now because all the leaves are up. So we do use a lot of wood and typically keep it going during the wintertime. It's a big investment. It is. Yeah. I mean, is. not only like the tools to do it, mm -hmm. but the wood and... I don't know. My son was asking me how old the trees are that, that we were using for firewood. And, oh, know, wow. If you think about that perspective, it's just like, yeah. well, son, I don't know. I guess we can count the rings. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's like, wow, you know, how hard did these trees labor to get so large? Mm -hmm. You know, then we get to bring them and utilize their energy in our own beneficial way. But I get to thinking a lot about the first people here and how they would have lived and uh, how they do i'm sorry not would have how they do live in the older way you know the old ways and just fire is life i mean couldn't even boil water without it and so you know we have a creek i guess i could haul buckets but I mean, it would need to be boiled you yeah. know and so yeah it's definitely an investment of time and mm -hmm. Um, energy and very spiritual for sure and but, awareness you have to really yeah. be aware all the time oh yeah definitely. Um, so when we first moved here i i um we started blessing our wood we would get our wood typically this time we would have already had our wood for the winter we can't chop any trees where we are because we're renting right now so we're not allowed to use the wood that's here so we have to call, you know haul it in and i would always bless it beforehand because i just felt like that was the only way that I felt I could honor without being the one who actually took the tree um, that we could honor and, you know, ask it to keep us warm through the winter. But you're right. It's a big investment. It's an investment in time, but it's also an investment in money. Um, and I think about those people every every winter. I'm like, those people that have to heat their home, I mean, all with wood. It's scary because if you know, like by February, sometimes it's very hard to find wood. And I'll start seeing a call for wood. Does anybody have any extra firewood? And so, and I know here in Madison County, there's like a special group that works with those people and gets them those kind of things, you know, if they need it. But you're right. It's a, it's a big investment all the way around. And you got to stay close to home. Yeah. 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 Growing up when the blizzard of 93 happened and we lost power we had heat and we had um you know a way to 
heat water for like toilet flushing and things like that. And I remember one of my classmates and he said that they were lost power for like a week and they just didn't have any heat. And they were just like all like huddled together. And it was just like, that's terrible. So I think it's a really good heat source to have if if not like as a primary source, but as a backup or or in conjunction with other means of heat. But I, I, I love that it's like it's sort of like a technology that's still around because it's so dang useful. You know, it's just like this mm-hmm. we've had fire and wood stoves for such a long time and it's sat alongside with electricity and all other kinds of like heating sources and I think that's really really neat. I think it's a great connector to our ancestors having that time in the winter time where we're able to I mean I realize not everybody gets to have you know has a fireplace you know in their home but you know because they absolutely had to have it going 24/7 just to cook and do all the things that they needed to do and I do think it's a very humbling experience. And it allows you to kind of step into that, wow, <laughs> you know, what they had to do to carry that and keep that going just to survive. Um, there's a big appreciation to that, especially in the winter, winter time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely different when you get used to turning on a, oh, let me turn up the heat, right? Yeah. And, then, <laughs> and then thinking about like this, yeah, like you said, Lori, thinking about that is well, and when we think about how that's how all the cooking happened, too. Mm-hmm. So you had to keep if you were that farm wife who got up at three to make sure everybody had a giant breakfast. Then you got you got up that early to get the fire stoked up in the wood burning cook stove. And yeah. then you cooked all day and you, you hoped somebody would keep the kindling basket full so that you could keep the stove going, but that's heated your water, cooked your food and, and heated part of the house. I don't remember my great grandmother very much. She was lived in Buncombe County, but I do remember a couple of times when we were real young, we would go visit her. And the one thing that I remember is we would walk up these big steps. Obviously they probably aren't really big, but I remember them as being big, but we'd go straight in and very center in, in her downstairs area was a big pot belly wood stove. I just remember this big black pot belly wood stove in the middle of the house. <laughs> so, I mean, wow, you know, yeah. that is very um, eye-opening to all of that, how it is the central thing for a lot of people that lived here during that time. Byron talks about it all the time. And then she had a big wood cooking stove. Those are the few things that I remember about her, but it's the center of her home. Yeah, so that's important. Heart cooking. and heart. Mm-hmm. Yep. Now we get used to turning the oven onto 350 because yeah. we're going to bake something in the oven. But back then you put the kindling in and you just kept putting your hand in there to see if it was going to be a fast oven or a medium oven or a slow oven. And you needed a fast, super hot oven to do things like biscuits, but you needed a medium oven if you were going to roast meat. And it took a woman and it was almost always women it took them a while to master that, to understand how much wood equaled what kind of temperature. Yeah. It was so much more complicated than the kind of lives we live now. And yet 
in some ways easier because imagine, you know, mastering all of these skills from an early age. I mean, it's like your daughter, you watch your mother. It's like you get to learn from your grandmother. I mean, for me, I'm, we're really isolated out here and it's just us. And yeah. it's like a million times I have just wished for someone that's like, oh my gosh, please tell me how to do this thing. It's like, I don't have to figure it out on my own every time. And so, I mean, the community, the central heart, I mean, that's where it was at. Being able to smell the smoke, being able to, you know, like feel ambient, radiant heat. I imagine that you do it your whole life, you get really skilled at it. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. I was grateful to spend a year in a place with a, like a first generation Scandinavian homestead in England. Oh, wow. And it was, it was a wood fired cooker. It was beautiful. Oh, wow. Beast of, of a, um, of a stove and it had like a hot water heater and it had a bread rack and, you know, it had a big one and a little, you know, like, um, places. And I mean, it was amazing until summer came along. <laughs> no one wanted to be inside because you can't <laughs> cook on it and still live indoors. <laughs> Um, well, that's when you need one of those outdoor summer kitchens. Okay. <laughs> that was my next question. Yeah, the cannon and stuff outside. Still <laughs> hot, though. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, last week I, I did strawberry jam that I'd frozen the strawberries when they came in season. So I did strawberry jam and I put, I blanched a bunch of corn and then I did some elderberry tincture. There is something to be said for that being your only job. Because most of us that's tending the home is not our only job, tending the home and land. We have other jobs that have to be done. And frankly, when I am at home and off the road, there is something very satisfying and joyful about having to make jam. That's my only job this morning is to make jam. I don't have to answer 400 emails or edit a book. I'm just going to make jam today. I mean, I, I love that. And maybe I would get bored if I had to do that for a whole year. But I don't know. I don't know that I would. <laughs> yeah, I struggle just to clean the bathroom every other week. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. You know, I mean, maybe making jam is repetitive over time. But you're making food. So mm -hmm. you're supporting people and your family. And you're doing it a a job that has importance. I feel like that my my job that I do it supports my family with money, but it feels like not the same thing. Feels more direct somehow, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. If you grew it and then you processed it and then you feed it to your family, versus going out and working for money and then using that money to buy food to mm -hmm. process to feed your family. There's more of a kind of direct line about that. But you know who won't take take jam is Duke Energy. That is true. I can't just I can't just give them some jam. I cannot give the you know when the water department wants money every other month for water and sewer and storm water and all that. They won't take jam. Oddly enough, hey, That's too bad. you can tell them where to jam it though. I was about to say. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's good. You are good, bro. You're good. 
<laughs> I, I would like very much to tell Duke where to jam it right about now. Oh, God, me too. Me too. Terrible power. I mean, yeah, anyway. Glad yeah. for a good go. Woodstone Revolution. Okay, well, not quite, but. <laughs> be like, what would you do if we all started using our Woodstone? I mean, you wouldn't. <laughs> we need your electricity and that oh, wait, we still need your electricity. Okay. Oh, I don't know. Yeah. yeah exactly. I mean that whole off grid thing, it sounds really good, but it ultimately it's I mean not ultimately, but the startup of that is so expensive mm -hmm. that I think yeah. it's out of range for most people. Yeah. And you know, I will say this, my ninety two year old grandfather one day we were sitting in his living room and we were talking about how we wanted to go tiny when the kids finally move out and reduce our, you know, maybe even do some off grid. He's like, why would you want to do that? And I said, well, we need to reduce how much we're spending. He's like, I've done the, the outhouse thing. I don't ever want to go back to that. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, there is something to be said to those that did have to live without some of those things yeah. coming into having these things, you know, to them, it's like, why do you want to go back? <laughs> yeah. I, I grew up without an indoor flush toilet and I still, every time I clean the toilet, I am immensely grateful to live in a house with a flush toilet. I just mm -hmm. am. And, and I could go back. I certainly go to festivals where everybody complains about the porta potties. And I'm just like, well, let me tell you what, you don't want to be in an old outhouse in August for sure. <laughs> Um, so I could do it, but I sure wouldn't choose to do that. Yeah. I might haul my own water and all that other stuff, but I do love a flush toilet. Yeah. Guilty as charged. <laughs> yeah, I've been using an outhouse for the past year, and I just moved into the farmhouse on the same land, and so I finally have a flush toilet again. Not be a luxury, but it sure does feel like it after that. I feel like you were going towards a way that power is disconnected. Mm -hmm. That's right. I mean, even being connected to the grid is still disconnected. It feels like to us because it's like this thing. It comes just like this foreign thing. And, you know, we get it and we're able to use it for, you know, whatever conveniences. But and you know what? I felt the same way now that you were, we were talking about money. You know, it's a little different when you are part of the source you know it's like of the garden and so it's like with money there's definitely a major disconnect and certainly with like the yeah. consumerism well it's like we don't want to throw away we want to keep the toilets i think but mm -hmm. but but whatever is powering the toilets we'd like 
I think overall to mm -hmm. have a, a cleaner source of a healthier source, not, you know, damage their planet so much. Singing the songs of flush toilets. I saw a Japanese toilet the other day that has the basin for hand washing right above the tank for flushing. So yeah. you wash your hands and you're creating gray water and that's what you're flushing with. You're not flushing oh, yeah. with potable drinking water. And that makes perfect sense. Mm -hmm. And you can also, I mean, that's what we do anyway. If it's yellow, we let it mellow. Mm -hmm. So we don't flush after every time we go to the bathroom. I mean, yes, if it's brown, flush it down. Yes, that works. But um, but you can also be sparing with the resources that you use. Mm -hmm. And Americans just aren't taught that. And we believe we should be able to do whatever we want and use as much energy and water as we want to. And we feel offended when mm -hmm. we're told that we have to we have to ease back on stuff. The people now that have sucked the Colorado River dry, they're like, well, what do you mean I can't have a swimming pool? Well, guess what? You live in the desert. You don't get a swimming pool. Period. Yeah. yeah. There is a really good book called um, Full Moon Feast by Jessica Prentice and she talked yeah. a lot about our need for light all the time and how our ancestors, you know, during this time, the day ended at, at nighttime. You stopped working, you know, when it was dark. Nowadays, like right now, I have all my lights on. <laughs> you know, it's dark outside. I have all my lights on and we've just become so accustomed to you know, these daylight hours, we're not giving our body the natural rhythms of sleep like we're supposed to. Um, because she talks, she goes into this long thing. I'm not going to try to paraphrase it all, but how people slept for long periods of time during the winter. And part of some of their spirituality was gained in that extra bit of sleep that we no longer get. You know, we no longer give ourselves that time anymore because we don't go to bed or we don't rest when the sun goes down. We continue to leave our lights on until way past. In wintertime, this is when we're supposed to be taking care of our bodies and, you know, calming down at night, turning things off at night. We've just gotten out of that habit. Everything is right at our fingertips now. And it's gotten us so far out of sync. Yeah. Yeah. And if you think about the cycle of the seasons, since we're talking about fall and winter, is that nature gives us as uh, as people who grow things, it gives us a time to plant, a time to tend, a time to harvest, and a time to rest. Yeah. So in the Northern Hemisphere, in the time when we should be resting, we have set up crazy festivals where we have to be with our damn families and buying a lot of stuff and out on the road. So we, when we should be resting, we've got Halloween, which has become the second biggest holiday in the damn world. And then we've got Thanksgiving and then we've got Christmas and then we've got New Year's and we should just all be resting that whole time. We should not be traveling to Los Angeles or or Dublin or wherever we have to travel to visit our mamas. It should just not be that way. No. And everything in the world has a cycle. Everything like you yes. just said has a cycle. And so why would we be excluded from that? We've just allowed ourselves to get out of it. I mean, I think it's just because of 
the work, our economic system, it benefits that system for us to have this sort of a, an imposing artificial schedule on us so that it's just more efficient for that. But for us as humans, it's harder because it's not what our bodies are used to. Like, I'd love to take a month off. Everyone have a month off. Or, like, you know, maybe, like, reduced hours at the grocery store because it still has to be open or whatever. Something like yeah. that where, like, yeah. all get, like, yeah. a break because I I just was like, oh, my gosh, when did the last time I had an actual downtime? I can't remember. It was, like, last year because I only get a certain amount of official days off from work. Well, there was a, a meme that passed through my Facebook feed the other day that medieval peasants had more time off than we do. Mm-hmm. Medieval peasants. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, love that idea, though. The, the notion that the grocery store would close at 7 p.m. Yeah. In yeah. the winter. Or, it's like, get it done on your way home and get home. Yeah, <laughs> it was open for, like, you know, a small window of time, four hours or something, for, so they can have yeah. rest, too, because, yeah. you know, I used to work at a grocery store. I mean, the entire world rests more than we do. They have planned holidays everywhere, you know? I mean, what are we doing? (laughs) Working ourselves into the ground is what we're doing. Mm -hmm. Wow. That got heavy. (laughs) I just think there's so many many small changes that we could make, Mm -hmm. but the culture is just not ready to make them. Yeah. We live in a culture that is dominated by both capitalism and Christianity. And those two things tie us in knots all the time. Yes, they do. Could I read my winter thing? Yeah, yeah. Yes. Because you'll you'll all know this, so you can even say it with me. But it's just the beginning and the end of this poem. And it's Robert Frost stopping by woods on a snowy day, which is one of my favorite poems in the world. Whose woods these are, I think I know. His house is in the village, though. He will not see me stopping here to watch his woods fill up with snow. And then the end of the poem is, the woods are lovely, dark, and deep, but I have promises to keep, and miles to go before I sleep, and miles to go before I sleep. And that really encompasses the whole feel of winter to me. I actually have another Robert Frost. (laughs) Good. (laughs) The way a crow shook down on me, the dust of snow from a hemlock tree has given my heart a change of mood and saved some part of a day I had rude. I love Robert Frost. I do too. I love him so much. (laughs) That's beautiful. I have an Italian proverb. Uh, I don't know who. Ooh. Oh, yeah. This is those who sing through the summer must dance in the winter. <laughs> Simple, but. Yeah. yeah. Profound. Um, this is by Edith Sitwell. She's a mm-hmm. poet. Winter is the time for comfort, for good food and warmth for the touch of a friendly hand, and for a talk beside the fire. It is the time for home. 
That's a good one. That's a real good one. I don't have a quote, but I do have a, a fun a fun thing to share, perhaps. Fun. I don't know. I guess that depends on <laughs> what your idea of fun is, maybe. But, um, <laughs> I love seeing the bare bones of the land. Like rocks. We have rocks here that are just astounding. Granite. Ancient, ancient granite where we are. We have boulders and mountains and cliffs and rock bars, which is just where all the boulders kind of come down and settle, you know, halfway down the mountain and stuff like that. You know, I've been trying to convince myself through long, very, very long winters that, you know, it's not so much a lack of life on the ground for me as it is a gift of the sky. Mm. the forest mm. it's kind of hard the trees block out the stars and sometimes the moon i mean we're lucky enough to you know be able to see the moon as it passes you know i know the moon's path very well and you know only at certain hours can we actually view view the moon in the summer so just the gift of sky in the winter means a lot to me and it's something instead of what a lot of people feel like is nothing. And so we kind of have, I've been trying to craft this ritual in mine and, you know, my family's life. Doing all kinds of uh, wonderful uh, celestial observations and um, studying the sky and studying constellations and all of that kind of stuff. We have a telescope we can only really use in the wintertime. <laughs> Because otherwise, we'll just be getting fuzzy leaves. <laughs> I like that you said that the about the bare bones of the land. So it's like kind of reveals what's underneath. Yeah, I mean, we also have the evergreens here because we live on a mountain with lots of rhododendron. So whereas the trees die back and the ground is more bare than not, we still have a lot of evergreens, like rhododendrons and hemlock trees and things like that. So I've been really delving into the folklore of evergreens, which, you know, it's obviously very close to our heart out here. We have Holly, too, which is just so fabulous. <laughs> My dear friend, Holly. Two questions. How do you guys do anything specific to get ready for the... Uh for the change of seasons, um, either like fall or, you know, or winter, since we're talking about both. And then how might you suggest if someone wants to connect more to the idea of seasonal change, how could they possibly start to bring that into their lives? Because we have been talking about kind of this disconnect in our routines, even though it's like right in front of our faces, the change. <laughs> Two things that I think are really important well, any season, but even this season right now, is pay attention outside. One thing that I've recognized about here, when I know the cooler months are coming and autumn is knocking at the door, we get these little um, reds, red and black spiders. I don't know if anybody else gets them. And they hang out near our door. And it's just this time of year. It's This is the only time that they come out. Because once it, it turns just a little bit cooler, they're gone. And I've just recognized that every single year. And I think there's a lot more that I recognize. But I think if people start paying attention, 
when seasons change, they'll actually start, I guess, being more involved in what they see. They feel more connected in that way. And they're able to recognize things without even without even really knowing what the, you know what I'm saying? It's like, oh, it's that time of year and, you know, moving on. So I think one of those that's one of the things to get closer to recognizing the seasons changing. And then another one is to eat seasonally. Oh, yeah. Yes. I'm all about food. I'm all about food magic. And, you know, I work a lot of farmers markets and it's so important this time of year, all through the year, to really get in touch with your food. And that is a great way to get in touch with the season. You know, we're starting to see pumpkins and squashes and, you know, you know that's that great mother goddess energy coming in to season right now. Um, and that is something that we can absolutely indulge in because it's very seasonal for us here and you know not only is it a great way to connect but it's also good for our bellies so i mean you know this is just and we need to be giving some love to our bellies before the holiday seasons come so i do feel like eating seasonally and paying attention outside to your your microclimate and connecting with that yeah, it just feels like a big time to support ourselves with herbs as well and like medicine making and mm-hmm. different herbs for shifts like you know passion flower like herbs that are just stressful weaving and supportive of the nervous system like lemon balm and pea balm and chamomile and passion flower but also like um, different herbs that are supportive for grief um, like scar of bethlehem like flower essence or like that that are also supportive for the energetic transitions that we like loved ones that are passing yeah i just laid down some vervain oil yesterday um verbena hestata and i use that as a grief oil Mm. i use it for for massage i use it for candle dressing all kinds of things Now's the time to do that. And mugwort is super plentiful right now. And that's an amazing herb for all kinds of things. We were in um, New York. I went up to speak at a goddess conference. And I overnighted with a friend in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And, and I bought corn. And I bought it at a farm stand. And I literally could see the field where they had picked the corn that morning before I came by to pick it up. So there's something about that immediacy of the food that we eat that I think is terribly important. I remember I spent one day <laughs> as a CNA um, with this lady who had dementia and they sent me, it was my first time out and they sent me to this lady and I was just like, oh my gosh, I don't know. I, I am over my head here totally, but you know, she was like, I'm supposed to go to town. And I'm like, no, no, you're not going to go to town. Anyway, she was just, (laughs) and then her, she is this lady in this farm, you know, little house. And, and then her son, like they had a, I guess they had land and he just did the land and she was like, let's get some corn. And I was like, okay, so we got some corn. They had corn growing. That was my first time shucking corn. <laughs> so that reminded me of that. 
and it was kind of mealy and i was just like gross but also okay that makes sense you don't, was it you know, was it silage corn dent corn i don't know what kind of corn it was because i know around here when i was growing up uh people love to get that heavy what we call dent corn now and they referred to as silage corn then the big white the kind of corn that makes grits and um and uh cornmeal and that was the preferred kind of because it the rest of it people said were it was too sweet i can't it's like eating sugar i'd like to have me some corn i can get my teeth into I, it might have been that i mean she's just like it was like time had stopped at their house and gone back like 50 years and she literally like cooked the corn for her son he came in and ate it and then went back in out in the field wow it was very bizarre Ooh. um but you know i had this i was like realized that i had never shucked corn before and my mom used to grow corn but for some reason i just didn't get to do that so <laughs> It was an experience, right? <laughs> it was an experience. Yes. And your yes. first day. Wow. Yeah, I didn't go back. I I couldn't <laughs> I couldn't do it. I was just like, I can't. It's I I just have to help people a different way. So I <laughs> um, but she at the end she was like, You can come tomorrow. And then I found out she liked walking. And I was like, Oh, okay. Well, if I was coming back, we would just, <laughs> we would just walk. Okay. It's tangent land. Um, <laughs> right. Sorry, everyone. Um, yes, my brain does that. It's just like, oh, corn. I have a corn story. The corn podcast. The corn part, yes. <laughs> Let's talk about hominy now. How you make hominy with oh. lie. <laughs> Well, I, I would like to know that too. <laughs> well, what I want to know is how to make alcohol with corn. I want to study with somebody old who knows how to really do that old school. Oh, wow. Yeah. That would be interesting. Yeah, I would love that. I, I did enjoy learning how to make mead. That was really fun. Even though I, I can't, I can't drink it because I have, because of my tummy, but um, I really loved the idea of oh wait you just make a tea and then you put anything in it and then honey and then yeah this sounds good <laughs> <laughs> as we know some places on our planet they don't have four seasons sometimes they have two sometimes maybe they have zero how do you think this affects the idea of change in the lives of the people there and do you think there have other ways of connecting to the idea of change as someone who thinks a lot about all of this kind of stuff, at least the nature aspect, that like kind of perspective from a naturalist here. And also as someone who's not really well traveled, I have not ever really had the opportunity to, you know, travel around the world. Like my um, imagination takes me all the time, but um, I love studying different places on the planet and, you know, um, indigenous culture, all of that kind of stuff. That's just something I absolutely can just um, track a time for like forever <laughs> and not come back if I if I don't make myself. But um, I 
I recently was watching this fantastic show, uh, despite um, being by an, an older white fellow. He is one of my favorite older white fellows. That's David Attenborough. Oh, and yeah. he, oh. <laughs> he's a credit to the human species in my um, humble opinion. But he he did this series, Green Planet. The Green Planet, it's his newest one. And it is all right. completely botanical perspective. And, you know, there's not a lot of plants that we have around here. But, you know, I can use my imagination to know, you know, if this happened somewhere else, this is likely what happens in our forest. You know, like plants track the sun. You know, they use all of this amazing technology and photography to show us in live, real, and even... Um, up time what the plants do one of my favorite quotes i think he said from the series he was you know you have places in the world that can change a whole awful lot and then you have um this temperate zone which we're in and it's four seasons of relentless change it's just yeah. it never not changes and so you have these places in the world that are quite extreme you know you have the polar you have the poles you know, you have um, Land of the Midnight Sun and the Aurora Borealis and the Aurora Australis. And these things that can only happen, you know, on that parallel in that region. And then you have, you have the equator. And, you know, for them, it's mostly a factor of wet and dry. You know, it may not change because they're equatorial, but, you know, what does change for them is the monsoon season, dry season. And it's pretty amazing to discover through technology of all things, of course, all these incredibly interwoven patterns and things that happen in the world. For instance, you know, the great storm in Africa sweep up this nutrient, mineral-rich soil and take it across the ocean and dump it as rain onto the Amazon rainforest. And, you know, even though they don't have seasons like we do, you know, they're the lungs of the earth. <laughs> they can't just kind of like stop and take a break. <laughs> they're the earth's life support quite literally. Thinking about the context of, you know, four seasons of, of relentless change, we're kind of special in that way, this temperate zone of the planet like i said i'm not well traveled so i don't really know like so many of the stories and the cultures personally just from you know what i'm able to imagine and read um and learn and study for a really long time but you know adapting <laughs> i feel like is something that we have to do very well you know obviously everybody has to do it very well but certainly a special kind of adaptation for us in a land of relentless change for completely different seasons all the life around us is having to make immediate use of you know their energy stores their food stores foraging all of that so i mean Maybe if I were to propose one way to get in touch with nature during any of the seasons, it would just be to, I mean, not necessarily forage. Some people don't have access 
amazing places to forage and some people you know may need to find a community or you know someone to learn from but you know even if you don't actually consume the thing you could forage by you know like keeping a nature journal i guess the one thing that's most prevalent to me is the change and watching all of my favorite trees and plants and animals through each season uh, you know because everything that lives in this area kind of has a distinct one <laughs> more or less maybe minus humans, um, more or less <laughs> i feel like humanity or i'm sorry human nature in general kind of feels like we're too good to be a part of that um in, in some ways you know it's like oh we have to remove ourselves from nature and the seasons you know we have to extend our lights and you know travel all around you know like not be bioregional and you know things like that i would i would love to leave it to all of these other amazing women to fill in the blank comes to how that affects the people that live there but those are like my my thoughts when it comes to different places in the world extremes now that you brought that up i can see how it would be really bad if the rainforest had a fall like a, they lost their leaves and had mm -hmm. a like like and it's something that i have not thought about at all and so yes thank you very much for bringing that up and i kind of like to think about my dad lives in florida so they don't get a lot of seasons change i mean obviously they'll get some but it's not nothing like what we experience um but he's always the first to tell me okay, we're in hurricane season. This is hurricane season, you know, and it is a real thing for Floridians, hurricane season. And I like to think that sometimes it's not necessarily fall, winter, spring, summer, but you know, it's different things that happen in different regions and that's how they, they interact with that season. Um, you know, because for this season, he's, you know, making sure everything's, you know, uh, ready to go. They have water, their generators go in there, you know, all of these different things, which is very similar to what we do, you know, when we prepare for the winter, it's just called something different for them. Um, and I'm pretty sure most places, even just in the United States, have different parts of the year that maybe not necessarily see a season change, but something changes for them. And I think that is, you know, can be said across the board, you know, across the entire world, you know, different things happen during different seasons. And that's how some people connect to that, especially if they don't see the weather necessarily changing, getting colder or hotter or whatever. I mean, that's kind of how I view, you know, and even tell people when we're talking about, I guess your your will of the year, your time, your seasons that are your time of the year. Recognize where you live and what is going on where you live. If you live in Hendersonville, it's apple season now, y'all. So town to me, and oh my god, apples. Yes, oh my gosh, that is like unbelievable there. So I mean, you know, every region has something changing doesn't necessarily mean it's a season and people can connect that way but it's still called apple season it's still called hurricane season <laughs> that's right so i guess i guess it just sort of expands that definition mm -hmm. of what a what a season is yeah it's a yeah. period of 
time marked by an annual event or annual yeah. something or <laughs> instead of, you know, yeah, we just <clears throat> think about, you know, fall, spring, winter. Not everybody has that. Not everyone know, has so. that. Yeah. So but that's how they connect to their still, They still have these things that happen. Yeah. It feels so bioregional. Mm -hmm. like yeah. season. It's like I have mushroom season here, which yeah. is three months late, by the way, which is deeply unsettling because of our drought that we've had. It's the wettest drought. It's crazy. It's like we, you know, we have rain, but it's never even enough to get past the leaves on the trees. Yeah. And so everything's so dry and, you know, usually we've been like knee deep in chanterelle mushrooms right now. But I mean, I, I, you know that from holler to holler, from family to family, there must have been, you know, like these personal favorite seasons for those out collecting and, you know, a part of the woods is hunting season. I mean, I mean, I think that's certainly quite universal wherever you go in the world, you know. But what's in season and when? Deanna, what's your favorite autumn herbal or, uh, you know, um, your favorite thing, your, the best thing to harvest in autumn when it comes to what you're growing? Well, on the note of mushrooms, my favorite is like, I mean, normally by now I also have like harvested a bunch of ration mushroom and I haven't found any yet. Mm -hmm. Also getting way more over harvested, but but it's my favorite tea to make in the fall is like reishi on like a, in a crock pot and like going for like mm -hmm. just kind of like having in the crock pot with like it's nice. I'll add like a little bit of rose or a little bit of other different things to kind of kind of build up my immune system for. Mm -hmm like the transitional times as well as just like yeah it's just the whole body system support and then for um for herb like for herbs like outside of that i mean i've been just so in love with passion power this year i know um, uh, it just feels it just really calling me to work with it very more I know it's great for circular thinking, but also just like us um, saving the leaves. All the focus can be on the flower, and I've been saving a lot more of the leaves and the, and the vine and just kind of supporting people's nervous systems. I'm just, I just feel like I need to stock up on passion flower medicine for the fall for people. And just as a way of like prevention for. Um, addiction but also for just like supportive of meditations because a lot of people are wanting to go back into drinking because they can't fall asleep or I mean not doing that but like if they're heavy having a hard time with it um and just so passion bar can kind of help with a particular mind and also just kind of bring the passion back to life and passion like you know just your love of life and like sensuality, sexuality, like just what nourishes our heart fires. And so, yeah, that's my yeah. herbal fire keeping. Mm -hmm. Ooh. Mm -hmm. I like that. Yeah. Keeping <laughs> fire through herbs. That's great. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> All right. So, um, before we wrap up does anyone have anything they would like to add 
um, about our discussion. I feel like we have definitely, definitely discussed a lot, but um, if anyone has anything else they'd like to say? I just want to say how grateful I am to have this kind of conversation with these amazing women because everybody brings a different thing, but all of our things kind of weave together into this really beautiful basket of, of information and love for the biosphere that we're on. So I'm grateful for that. Thank you all. Thank you, Byron. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Thank you guys for coming. I feel grateful as well. I like this kind of like round table Mm -hmm. method. Yeah, me too. And before my ADD gets uh, completely out of hand, um, we're going to wrap up. So um, I'd like everyone to um, briefly say where maybe we can find you on the web or if you have a project you would like to mention. Um, now is the, the time. And um, <laughs> Deanna, we're going to start with you. <laughs> You can find me at DeannaRose.org. Okay. Mm -hmm. Lori? So you can find me at SisterOfMotherEarth.com and I'm on Patreon, Sister of Mother Earth. And you're also at the farmer's markets? Oh, yeah. I'm at the local farmer's markets. Um, so if you're in North the Asheville, I'm North Asheville, Weaverville, Mars Hill. Yeah. And I think I'm starting up Asheville City in the next few weeks. So if you're in the Asheville area. <laughs> okay. Byron? Um, you can find me at myvillagewitch.com, but we're getting to ready to revamp the website. Okay. You can find me on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Insta. And I also am on Patreon. And mostly you can just find me around town at Raven and Crone on Tuesdays and, and, um, in the backyard the rest of the time <laughs> and you can uh read your books you can read my books i have six books three of them on appalachian culture and i've just got my first run of edits back on my new book which nice. is uh, it's going to be about simple practical magic and that'll be out from llewellyn next fall awesome very good awesome. and sarah um, thanks. Ed. I'm not sure where to start, so maybe I'll I'll start with my most recent one, which is that um, I've, I've recently helped create a website on ginseng conservation, which is very deeply close close to my heart. Um, it's been a many year project in the works. It's certainly been a crash course in science for me, although I am absolutely in no way any way shape or form a scientist <laughs> but i have great respect for conservation biology yeah i could i could say more but i'm just gonna say that um i, I have batcavebotanicals.com and a lot of the work that i do is with um, education and outreach for agroforestry with um, appalachian forest farmers.org yeah I'm, I'm grateful to be part of this group and everybody i'm, I'm sorry I'm, I'm quite the hermit you can come visit me anytime though and deanna and Lori, i'm so <laughs> glad to um 
to kind of meet you in this way and really look forward to getting to know you both. Well, all of everyone's links, I'm going to put them on the um, in the show notes. If you're watching on YouTube, they'll be in the description. All right. So you can find this podcast on YouTube, Instagram. Uh, you can listen to us on Anchor or Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can support this podcast by leaving us a review and or a rating on Apple Podcasts. Very helpful. Or if you would like to support us with your dollars, you can go to Anchor and um, hit the support button. So I want to thank everyone once again, and um, we will we will be back next time. So um, yes, all right, bye, <laughs> bye, <laughs> bye. <laughs>